The early 1900s were a period of immense upheaval and rapidly shifting intellectual ideas. And soon, scientific notions like Darwin's theory of evolution and Freud's work in psychoanalysis began to undermine one pillar of 20th century society, religion. Yet this new era was far from the golden age of rationale and enlightenment. In many ways, it was one of savagery and suffering. World War I broke out in 1914. Rather than being used to study and understand the world's wonders, science was soon weaponized to create new and inventive ways of killing people. England, like so many other countries, lost nearly a million soldiers in the First World War. Even eight years later, in 1926, the country was still reeling. The waning influence of religion, combined with the war's astronomical death toll, created a new culture of nihilism. Britain and the world at large desperately needed a new sense of hope and meaning. That hope and meaning would come from two bookish professors, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. The two men struck up an unlikely friendship and wrote some of the most compelling works of fantasy in the 20th century. Without the other, neither would have produced their magnum opus. For Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia. For Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings. Through his words, each would revitalize post-war England and restore hope to thousands of readers for generations to come. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. I'm Carter Roy. And this is Obituaries, a Spotify original from Parcast. Over the next 10 episodes, we're looking at unlikely pairs, giants in their respective fields, who left a deep and lasting impression on the world and each other. Some of these pairs considered themselves allies, some partners and some bitter rivals. But in every case, their legacies are inextricably intertwined. We'll look at their lives side by side to see how their paths converged, how they impacted one another's fates, and ultimately how they were remembered. In this episode, we'll explore the friendship and works of authors C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, two complex geniuses who inspired the other to write some of the greatest and subtly countercultural works of fiction of all time. We'll also examine the petty jealousies that led to their falling out in later years and the widespread impact of their respective and collective legacies. Coming up, we'll start with Lewis and Tolkien's early years and how their shared trauma made them as close as brothers. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? 
forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. From a young age, C.S. Lewis was fascinated by Greek, Roman, and Germanic myths, as well as stories about talking animals. His favorites came from authors like Beatrix Potter, who wrote the tale of Peter Rabbit. Reading these inspired six-year-old Lewis to create Boxen in 1904, a land inhabited by talking animals. It was a precursor to his Narnia series. Sadly, Lewis's childhood wasn't all fun and fantasy. Tragedy struck his family in 1908 when his mother died of cancer. Lewis was only 10 years old. During this time, Lewis's father Albert sent him to boarding school. Away from home and without the trappings of family, the boy grew bitter. His mother's death shook Lewis to his core. He thought if God really existed, like he had been taught, then he would have healed his mother. In light of this, Lewis abandoned his Christian faith as a teenager. To escape his pain, he threw himself into his studies and received a scholarship to Oxford University in 1916 at the age of 18. From a young age, J.R.R. Tolkien shared similar interests and losses. Born in present-day South Africa and raised in England, Tolkien was only four when his father died of rheumatic fever. This forced his mother, Mabel Tolkien, to take care of him and his brother on her own. Tirelessly, she worked to provide for them and give her boys a good education. Tolkien, too, proved himself as a brilliant student who loved mythology. Mabel taught him how to read and write in English, as well as the basics of Latin, French, and German. After learning as much as he could from his mother and forging a lifelong love of language, he received a scholarship to King Edward's school. At just 11 years old in 1903, Tolkien was off to one of the best schools in the nation. Unfortunately, the joy from this event was short-lived. The effects of his mother's back-breaking workload, combined with her acute diabetes, put her in an early grave in 1904. Tolkien was just a year into his studies at King Edward's. And like Lewis, death drove Tolkien to look for respite from his pain. He threw himself into studying. He continued to excel in primary school before moving on to study English language and literature at Exeter College. He eventually graduated with first-class honors in 1915 at age 23. The same year Tolkien graduated, he joined the army to fight in World War I. In June 1916, he was shipped off to the Somme region in France. There, British soldiers were deadlocked with the Germans in a bloody five-month standoff from July to November. When the smoke cleared, 125,000 British were dead, and another 295,000 were wounded. Lewis enlisted in 1917 at the age of 19. Like everyone in the trenches, Lewis was shocked by the carnage he witnessed. He once recalled, quote, Horribly smashed men still moving like half-crushed beetles. Both men were dropped into the hellish experience of the worst the war had to offer. It's almost certain that both would have been killed had they not been sent home for health-related issues. 
Tolkien returned to England in 1916 after contracting trench fever. Even though the muscle fatigue and pain weren't life-threatening, the disease hit him especially hard. It took two years for him to fully recover. Lewis, meanwhile, was wounded two years later in 1918 when an artillery shell exploded beside him. Though his two colleagues were killed by the shrapnel, Lewis survived and was sent back to a hospital in England to recover. Reading proved to be safe respite during their respective recuperations. After being traumatized by the war, their love for Greek, Norse, and Germanic myths only grew. Within these stories, each escaped to another world to forget about the suffering they had endured. And for both, escape meant imagining a world where people didn't use power, science, and technology to oppress others. Rather, they were tools meant to uplift. After recovering in the hospital, both men returned to academia. While Lewis finished his studies at Oxford in 1920, Tolkien became the youngest professor at England's University of Leeds at just 28. Five years later, in 1925, their paths would finally converge when Tolkien and Lewis both became professors at Oxford University. Oxford was a dream come true for both men. They were able to teach, read, and study the subjects they loved most. Lewis was a professor of English literature, and Tolkien became a professor of Anglo-Saxon cultures. He specialized in philology, the study of languages, and their development throughout history. And although they had no way of knowing it, they were on a collision course that would change literature forever. Despite their intelligence, neither man was egotistical. The two met at a run-of-the-mill faculty meeting for humanities professors in May of 1926. Yet according to Lewis, Tolkien did not make a good first impression. In a diary entry from May 11, 1926, Lewis wrote that Tolkien was a smooth, pale, fluent little chap, no harm in him, only needs a smack or so. As a professor of literature, Lewis preferred to study the themes and characters of books. He looked down on those like Tolkien, who studied the history of languages. Lewis's reaction was a microcosm of his temperament. He was a 28-year-old bachelor whose loud and sometimes abrasive presence commanded a room. On the other hand, at 34, Tolkien was already a dedicated father of three. He was quiet, shy, and spoke so quickly it was hard to understand him. Yet they both still shared aspirations to become professional writers, despite not having published any original work at that point. Each felt insecure about his own literary talent. With such different personalities and overwhelming insecurity, the two intellectuals could have easily soured on each other. But Tolkien quickly won Lewis over. By the following year, he had invited Lewis to join the Coalbiters, a literary group that read Icelandic sagas in their original Old Norse. Every Thursday evening, the friends would gather to read epics like the Saga of King Rolf Kraki or the Saga of the Volsuns. As time went on, the two men grew friendly. 
they'd regularly stop by each other's offices between classes for tea or something a little stronger. In December 1929, Lewis wrote to one of his closest childhood friends that he and Tolkien had stayed up until 2.30 a.m. on a weeknight talking about gods, giants, and Norse mythology. Despite the late hour, Lewis was thrilled. He remembered, the fire was warm and the talk was good. They'd come a long way from their rocky first encounter at the faculty meeting. Swapping stories about lousy childhoods and time in the trenches had forged a bond stronger than their academic differences. But they still had an obstacle of biblical proportions looming between them. Coming up, Lewis and Tolkien clash over religion, setting the stage for each writer to compose his greatest work. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. By the time they met in 1926, Lewis and Tolkien bonded over a love of magical, mystical stories and shared similar obstacles in their early lives. Although they'd been dismissive of one another at first, as they learned more about the other, their respect and friendship grew. As strong as their bond became, they were still divided over one particularly sensitive subject, religion. Tolkien was a devout Roman Catholic and Lewis was an intractable atheist. But one fateful night in September of 1931, Lewis and Tolkien would take an after-dinner stroll with far larger implications. For hours along Oxford's tree-lined footpaths, they debated the veracity of the Bible. Their words grew heated and each fired off his argument. But things became especially tense after Lewis declared that myths including the Bible, were, quote, lies breathed through silver. He implied that stories like Jesus' death and resurrection to save humanity sounded nice, but they were fake tales. Tolkien disagreed. He believed the stories of the Bible were true on some level. They might not all be factually accurate, but they still contained insight and wisdom about the human condition, which he used to guide his own life. Tolkien concluded the argument by pointing out Lewis's hypocrisy. How could Lewis enjoy the truths evident in other mythologies, but refuse to acknowledge anything positive about Christianity? Lewis was speechless. In the crisp 3 a.m. air, the man usually ready with the comeback for everything couldn't rebut Tolkien's argument. In fact, he was intrigued by Tolkien's points. Lewis realized he was still angry at God, or perhaps the idea of God, from his mother's death. He hadn't forgotten he'd believed she might heal through faith. After the two friends parted ways that night, Lewis spent the following week soul-searching and re-examining his own prejudices. About a week or so later, Lewis had an epiphany while on his way to visit the Whipsnade Zoo in the sidecar of his friend's motorcycle, no less. He felt the urge to convert. 
When Lewis recalled his experience, he said, When we set out, I did not believe Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and when we reached the zoo, I did. Lewis's conversion gave him a renewed sense of hope and purpose. He no longer believed that his life slotted into a meaningless, dark universe. Instead, religion gave him a sense of purpose, which he wanted to share with as many people as possible. This desire would soon provide a well of inspiration for Lewis's writing. Rather than dwell on his stagnating literary career, he realized that it was just beginning. Although Lewis had once written that Tolkien needed the slap, it appeared Tolkien had delivered the existential blow. The two men already shared a love for stories. Now they shared a love and commitment to the same religion. As the duo's creative and religious ideals coalesced, the Colbiders reading group petered out. The founding professors had all gone their separate ways. So in order to fill the void and continue discussing their love for stories, the two friends established a new group, the Inklings. Other tenured Oxford professors soon joined to discuss Christianity and writing. By the time Lewis had converted in 1931, these meetings were in full swing. The group of 15 or so would gather by the fire on Thursday nights, drinks in hand, and stay up until the wee hours of the morning. Together, they discussed and debated everything on the spectrum, from literature to the ethics of cannibalism. While many of their discussions were intellectual, at its core, the Inklings was a group of friends. They would make fun of the books by their least favorite authors and see who could read them the longest without laughing. Inklings meetings also provided valuable workshop time. Members presented their own writing and the rest of the group offered feedback. And soon, in 1933, Tolkien shared an early draft of The Hobbit with Lewis. It was a story set in Tolkien's fictional land of Middle-earth about a character named Bilbo Baggins. He called the short, comfort-loving creature with huge feet a hobbit. Lewis loved the mythical, epic tale and said it was like the stories he'd always longed to write and read. Encouraged by Lewis's praise, Tolkien shared the drafts with the rest of the Inklings, who received it with varying levels of acceptance. Through it all, Lewis motivated Tolkien to finish the manuscript and submit it to publishers. The encouragement paid off when The Hobbit was published in 1937. An immediate success, the book was met with high praise and favorable reviews. The British Library Association even nominated it for the Carnegie Medal, Britain's most prestigious award for children's writing, in 1937. Lewis was so inspired by the success of The Hobbit that he told Tolkien one evening, "'There is little of what we really like in stories.' I'm afraid we shall have to write some ourselves. Seeing his friend's success had reminded him that there simply weren't enough good stories. In truth, most people didn't enjoy tales featuring ancient mythical quests. Many popular books of their day, like the stories of H.G. Wells, described life as meaningless. The concepts of good and evil were just ideas to keep humanity in line. Lewis and Tolkien wanted to write stories with more hope. Lewis wisely realized that in a culture with little interest in the supernatural, they had to be more nuanced in writing about the themes they held dear, like religion. They would couch their biblical ideology within bigger worlds. 
1937, with Lewis's encouragement, Tolkien began a sequel to The Hobbit called The New Hobbit. Drafting the work was tedious and slow. Tolkien's love for language, paired with his analytical approach to philology, bled into his writing process. The story's lack of direction certainly delayed its progress. At first, Tolkien believed the story would continue to follow Bilbo as he journeyed on a new quest for more treasure. But as he continued developing it, he became more interested about the ideas in the story. Using much of his personal life as inspiration, Tolkien developed a trilogy over the next 17 long years. In addition to being a detailed perfectionist, Tolkien was equally inefficient when it came to editing The Lord of the Rings. Lewis said of Tolkien that in reply to feedback from the Inklings, he has only two reactions to criticism. Either he begins the whole work over again from the beginning, or else he takes no notice at all. The outbreak of World War II also slowed the process further. Sometimes Tolkien was so desperate for paper due to the rationing in Britain that he had to write sections of the story on the back of his students' exams. On several occasions, Tolkien even considered abandoning the project altogether. But as always, Lewis encouraged him onward. While Tolkien's near-impossible perfectionism was hard to stomach at times, no doubt, he remained a steadfast supporter of his friend's work throughout. While Tolkien was busy writing and revising throughout the late 1930s and 40s, Lewis was producing work at a rapid-fire pace. He was known to churn out just one draft of a book before sending it to publishers. One of Lewis's first novels was his space trilogy about a philologist who travels to Mars and Venus and must save Earth from nefarious powers. In turn, Tolkien was so supportive of the work that he tried to get the publishers of The Hobbit to accept Lewis's manuscript. Although Tolkien's publishers didn't go for it, another imprint did. The trilogy's first book, out of the Silent Planet was published in 1938 and remains in print to this day. With this steam, Lewis expanded beyond science fiction. He produced several works during the era of the Inklings. He penned the satirical novel The Screwtape Letters, as well as nonfiction works dealing with medieval literature and religion. He also served as a frequent commentator on BBC Radio. After publishing his space trilogy and bevy of other works, Lewis began workshopping The Chronicles of Narnia, a seven-part allegorical anthology with the Inklings around 1940. The series follows the four children and several of their cousins as they discover Narnia. Together, the group fights the forces of evil, with the help of talking animals and mythical creatures from numerous cultural traditions. Lewis drew inspiration for the series from a variety of sources, including Greek and German mythology, Plato, Shakespeare, and even medieval cosmology. And despite the complex subject matter, or perhaps because of it, the Inklings enjoyed the early Narnia drafts Lewis shared with them throughout the mid-1940s. Everyone except Tolkien, that is. To him, the parade of mythological characters and themes in Narnia were the opposite of good world-building. He believed the series was sloppy and undisciplined. Tolkien also believed the references to Christianity should be more subtle. For instance, he felt that Aslan, the heroic lion representing God, was too heavy-handed a reference to the Bible. 
But whatever disagreements Lewis and Tolkien had specifically over the Chronicles of Narnia were nothing compared to what lay on the horizon. Although the Inklings were close friends who respected each other's intellect and ideas, it was still a group of highly opinionated and vocal scholars. More often than they'd admit, their strong beliefs put them at odds. One of the most notable rivalries took place between Tolkien and another author named Charles Williams, who joined the Inklings in 1936. Having read Williams' work, Lewis believed he'd make a great addition. Sure enough, Williams fit right in and quickly became one of the Inklings' primary members. But Tolkien simply didn't like him. For all his charm, Williams was an odd man who was filled with energy. One biographer described him as a bundle of raw nerves in a business suit, spewing ideas, images, observations in all directions. For the reserved Tolkien, Williams' mannerisms set him on edge. Which did nothing to help the larger issue, Williams' unorthodox beliefs about Christianity. Although he was a Christian, the new inkling was more interested in magical symbols and in the occult, which Tolkien considered heretical. It appeared there were few issues regarding Williams that Tolkien didn't take offense over. Regarding his writing, Tolkien said it was wholly alien and sometimes very distasteful, occasionally ridiculous. But at his core, Tolkien was undeniably jealous of Williams' close friendship with Lewis. He felt the new member was an apparition that suddenly appeared and drove a wedge between him and his best friend. Though he was aware of Tolkien's jealousy, Lewis continued to grow closer to Williams. Lewis couldn't deny that he found his new friend's writings on romance, mystery, and religion far more interesting than Tolkien's, which were still exclusively devoted to myths. But what would have become of the friendship between Lewis and Williams was cut short. On May 15, 1945, Williams complained of a severe stomach ache. After being rushed into surgery, he mysteriously died shortly after at just 58 years old. The Inklings were devastated, especially Lewis. But even in his grief, Lewis didn't return to his friendship with Tolkien. The rift caused by Tolkien's jealousy and Lewis's disregard for his feelings was irreparable to some extent. And soon, Lewis would be drawn even further from Tolkien's orbit by way of a new love interest. Coming up, the rift between Tolkien and Lewis remains while each man reaches the pinnacle of his career. Now back to the story. By the 1940s, as they reached middle age, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, once fierce friends, had drifted apart. This was mainly due to Tolkien's jealousy over Lewis's friendship with Charles Williams. Though Williams passed away in 1945, it was too difficult for the pair to rekindle their old friendship as it had been. In truth, both men were simply too busy. Their rigorous teaching and writing schedules ate away large swaths of their days, and each returned home at night to spend time with family. Another obstacle was 49-year-old Lewis's growing celebrity status. In 1947, Time magazine had noticed Lewis's prolific output of engaging, imaginative, and accessible work and put him on the cover. The feature article raved, 
Lewis is writing for a generation of religion-hungry readers brought up on a diet of scientific jargon and Freudian cliches. On one hand, this praise proved that even though many people had left religion for science, readers were receptive to his stories. However, the demand of responding to fans, book tours, and guest lecturing prevented Lewis from seeing Tolkien and the Inklings as often as he used to. In light of this, by 1949, the Inklings disbanded from formal meetings. Although the group stopped convening weekly, its members remained close and occasionally met up. One such occasion took place in 1950 to celebrate the publication of Lewis's first Narnia novel, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. An undoubtable hit with fans and critics alike. Most importantly, children love the novel. And it seemed as though the Christian symbolism Lewis wove into the work resonated especially well with that audience. Another life milestone for Lewis would arrive in 1950. He'd begun corresponding with a woman named Joy Davidman. She was a brilliant writer and poet who had converted to Christianity a few years prior. Unhappy with her abusive, alcoholic husband, she had turned to religion, seeking guidance. Lewis's books had been encouraging and enlightening during this dark time, and Davidman started writing to him. In 1952, she visited Lewis in England while she and her husband were separated. Tolkien caught wind of this and believed it to be extremely scandalous. The dogmatic Roman Catholic was firm that married couples should never divorce or even separate, and he refused to meet Joy. Tolkien wasn't alone in his disapproval. Most, if not all, of the Inklings were quietly intimidated by Joy's intelligence. Though they didn't vocalize it in quite the same way, they believed that Lewis shouldn't be spending so much time with a married woman. Lewis, however, refused to listen. The writer stayed by Joy's side throughout her two-week visit. After Joy returned to the United States, she and her husband divorced. She returned to England the following year. Despite the disapproval of his friends, Lewis entered into a civil marriage with Joy that same year in 1953, so she could stay in Britain. However, it seemed Lewis was the only one not willing to acknowledge his romantic feelings for Joy. Despite his obvious respect and attraction to her, Lewis claimed it was simply a favor. That same year, in spite of their dwindling relationship, he did another favor for Tolkien. Before publication of The Fellowship of the Ring, the first book in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, in 1954, Lewis wrote a favorable review to honor Tolkien's achievement. He proudly told an interviewer, nothing quite like it was ever done before. The Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers were published in succession in 1954. The last novel of the trilogy, The Return of the King, was supposed to follow shortly after, but Tolkien missed his deadline thanks to his constant revisions. The final installment wouldn't be published until a year later, in October of 1955. Nonetheless, Tolkien said that Lewis's biggest contribution to the trilogy's publication was his friend's consistent encouragement. Ultimately, Tolkien believed if it wasn't for Lewis, he would never have brought The Lord of the Rings to a conclusion. 
the series immediately grew into a worldwide phenomenon and won an International Fantasy Award, an annual literary prize given to the best fantasy book of the year. A panel of judges, too, felt, just like The Hobbit, that The Lord of the Rings was a masterwork in the genre. Perhaps looking to return the favor, that same year, Tolkien pulled some strings professionally for Lewis. Using his position on a board of Cambridge University professors, Tolkien helped convince his colleagues to offer Lewis a professorship. In fact, they created a position specifically for him, called the Chair of Medieval and Renaissance Literature. Despite this prestigious honor, though, Lewis turned it down twice because it would take him away from his beloved community at Oxford. Tolkien urged Lewis to reconsider and worked tirelessly as a go-between for Lewis and Cambridge. Tolkien wrote to the board saying that they should extend the offer a third time because Lewis was the precise man for the job. At Tolkien's encouragement, Lewis finally accepted. Although both men harbored deep and old hesitations about the other, they still cared deeply for each other's professional success. Yet the excitement that accompanied Lewis's new position would evaporate for completely unrelated reasons just two years later. In 1956, Joy was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 41. This event caused Lewis to finally admit that he loved her, and the two were married at her hospital bedside in March 1957. Shortly after, Joy's cancer went into remission and the couple enjoyed three happy years together. Unfortunately, her cancer ultimately returned and she passed away in 1960. Lewis was crestfallen at Joy's small funeral. None of the Inklings attended. He never confronted his friends about it, but perhaps he simply didn't have the energy himself. A year after Joy died, in 1961, Lewis's kidneys started to fail and his health declined rapidly. Then, in July 1963, he had a heart attack and went into a coma. Miraculously, he recovered and was sent home. There, paying a visit to his bedside, was his old friend, J.R.R. Tolkien. Together, they dove into debating lore, just like old times. They discussed the legend of King Arthur. But sadly, this would be their last interaction. On November 22, 1963, Lewis collapsed in his bedroom and passed away at age 64. Despite his status as an international literary celebrity, few paid much attention to the news. The world was consumed with the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, which occurred the very same day. Just a few days after Lewis's funeral on November 26, 1963, Tolkien wrote to his youngest daughter, Priscilla. He reflected on the heaviness of the time, saying, So far I have felt like an old tree that is losing all its leaves one by one. This feels like an axe blow near the roots. He confided how sad he was that they were separated in the last years of their lives. Still, he told her he was encouraged that his time of close communion with Lewis endured in memory. Tolkien would live another nine years and fill that time with bringing other stories about Middle-earth to life. Most notably, he worked with his son Christopher on The Silmarillion, a 400-page book about the creation and prehistory of Middle-earth. 
Sadly, he never saw it published. J.R.R. passed away from a chest infection in 1973 at the age of 81. In honor of his father, Christopher Tolkien ensured The Silmarillion was published in 1977 and continued to publish his father's wide body of work until 2018. Knowing the nuanced magic and fantasy of both Lewis and Tolkien's writings, it seems almost impossible to fathom that some of the finest writing of their genre was born from a culture of industrialism, materialism, and nihilism. But their mutual desire to reinfuse the world with wonder and hope clearly struck a chord with the world at large. Since his passing, Lewis has become perhaps the best-known Christian author of all time. He's been immortalized among the ranks of writers like T.S. Eliot, Yeats, and Chaucer. Tolkien, too, has achieved a similar prominence. Today, he's revered as the father of modern fantasy literature and has inspired brilliant modern-day epics like A Wizard of Earthsea, Game of Thrones, and Harry Potter. Collectively, The Lord of the Rings and The Chronicles of Narnia have sold over 300 million copies, been translated into 39 languages. Their film adaptations have grossed $6.4 billion worldwide. At their cores, both authors have always returned to the matter at hand, the stories. Even when in disagreement, they always recognized each other's genius. After reading the first book of The Lord of the Rings, Lewis said, It is like lightning from clear sky. Here are beauties which pierce like swords or burn like cold iron. The passion and craftsmanship that Lewis and Tolkien poured into their works elevated their books from regular stories to something much more profound and meaningful. While the duo certainly understood the importance of escapism, they wanted their readers also to take away the larger message. Fantasy author Neil Gaiman expresses it beautifully at the beginning of his book, Coraline. Fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us that dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. By diving into Narnia and the Lord of the Rings, readers can get lost in their worlds and re-emerge ready to fight the dragons, discover the truths, and become enchanted with the subtle beauty of the world. Thanks for listening. You can find all episodes of Obituaries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll be back next week with a new episode on the linked legacies of two groundbreaking iconoclasts. Obituaries is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Obituaries was written by Robert Heckert, with writing assistance by Tony Goodman and Mackenzie Moore. Fact-checking by Haley Milliken, and research by Brian Petrus and Haley Milliken. Obituaries stars Vanessa Richardson and Carter Roy. Carter Roy